Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It is uh, certainly great to see such a great turnout to our first service. I don't know if some were motivated because you have something at noon that you were planning on. Yeah, maybe a few around the room here or here. But hey, we, we, we are all for it. We're thankful, thankful that you're here and a part of it. I thought maybe you were up and excited because you were so eager that in a series of generosity, we were finally talking about giving. I mean, we're, we're in week four on it and some of you are like, you know, when is giving coming? And as you look in your notes, I, I kind of asked the, the question, you ready to talk about it? And maybe you looked at that and you thought the Niners or you wanted to talk about what the Niners did to my Cowboys last week. We're not talking about that, okay? <laughs> that, that's a, a past subject. One of the reasons we've waited in this is I, I think so often anytime we go to generosity, anytime that we, we move into it, there is a defensiveness that comes up because it goes so deeply to who we are. It touches very deeply in our life. That's what Jesus has said in it. And I wanted us to make sure that we've really wrestled with at a broader picture, at a heart level, what, what is the Bible saying about our resources, about our money? And as you, you look at it, we've been walking through this, that we said our hearts are intimately connected to our financial resources. Jesus says, where your treasure goes, your heart goes with it. And we've seen that every week as we talk about it, how many of these scriptures go back to your heart? How many times do we feel it? It's one of the reasons when I said today, we're gonna to talk about giving, you kind of felt that sense of, you know, protect the wallet because your heart's connected to it. And as we saw, because it's such core heart issues, we don't want our hearts trapped by it either. We looked as well, God's the owner of everything. I mean, that's the one thing that just stands out in scripture. He owns all of it. It's all his. And so when you step back from that, it kind of reframes how I think about even my money. When it's not my money, it's his money. And, and I'm just the steward of what he's given me. I'm the steward of that. And so I've got a responsibility to steward that well. And as we saw last week, how I steward all of it matters to God. That's one of the key reasons we've waited on giving because I think it's so easy just to reduce it to as long as I'm giving enough or I'm doing enough there, we don't really wrestle with all the things that God wants us to learn from every part of the resource he's given us and how I'm using it and how I'm using it for the kingdom, how I'm using it in my life, how I'm stewarding it well, how am I budgeting well with it? Because one day I'm gonna stand before him and, and as we looked at, I'm gonna give an account for everything he gave me, my time, my talent, and my treasure. And, and we've seen as only God can design it, he did this because he wants to reward us. He wants us to use it well because he wants to give us that much more that's eternal in it. You know, last week I had a, a student, a high school student from our, our ministry here. He grabbed me after the service and uh, I, I know him. I get to see him. He comes to the house at times with it, uh, around it. And, and it just he's wrestling with this and he said, okay, so as you think about these eternal rewards, can you serve, can you use your time instead of your money? 
Is that a way of doing that? And, and as we talked to it, I said, well, it's not really an either or in scripture. I'm not gonna sit in front of Jesus and I go, well, uh, time or talent or money. He's kind of looking at how I use all of it. So yeah, you wanna definitely serve with your time, but it's also your resources. And, and I, he got kind of this expression. Here's what I love. He goes, what do you do if you don't make any money? <laughs> He's dead honest. And here's what I love about the question, because there's a part in going, I want to be a part of what God's doing. I take this seriously. I want to invest in eternity. And, and I just, I love that because I love somebody who's wrestling with God's word and serious about it. And as I said to him, I go, you know, I know you and I know all the places he's already serving now. He serves, so he's, he's modeling that now. I said, I have no doubt when you have those resources, when God gives to you, that's gonna be a part of how you sacrifice as well because you're already doing it in what he has given you. And, and that's the key is at a heart level, what am I doing with what he has given? Now, unlike him, most of us here probably have some form of income coming in. And for us, we've got to ask ourselves, what am I doing with those financial resources? Because it's a key part of it. L let's be honest. I can't really say I'm living a generous life if money is off limits. It's never a part of what I'm giving. I can't really say I'm imitating a generous God who gives everything all the time if this is kind of the no-go zone that I'm not willing to wrestle with. And so as we look at this, we've got to just recognize regular financial giving is a fundamental part of a generous life. Regular financial giving. And I put that word regular there on purpose because everybody loves random acts of giving. We all do that. If you're a human being, if you have a heart at all, there's times where we see something, you see a need and you give and you give in that moment. Or you, this comes across, you go, you kind of give that randomly in it. And so that's part of humans. And, and here's what I believe. I think all of us want to be generous because we were created in the image of a generous God. I think that's just part of our heartbeat is humanity. The, the problem though is sometimes we can deceive ourselves with random acts and they kind of make a mark in our brain more than they really should. And we convince ourselves we're generous. I'll give you a case in point. Around our house at times, I'll hear Lee, and especially over the years, with the kids, you know, she'll, she'll say to them, you know, your chores, are you helping out here? And here's what you always hear. So this kind of cry out this random act of service. Well, you know, I not only last week unloaded the top of the dishwasher, Last Thursday, I did the bottom too. You know, and it's presented in this, oh, look at me. And somebody else will speak up. Well, you know, two weeks ago, I took the garbage out and it was not even my day. I mean, they'll remember, they've got it like marked, lasered in. In 2020, I cleaned my room and, and here's the line that's like supposed to be most impressive. And I wasn't even asked. <laughs> Which I, I never get that. It's like, you're not cleaning the room for my sake. You're the one that lives in it. 
but, but these kind of random acts. And we do the same thing. I mean, as spouses, your spouse ever say to you, hey, do you, can you pick up a little bit around here? And you immediately go, well, you know, last week I did the laundry or, you know, we kind of throw out these random acts with it. And, and they kind of make a mark in our brain in a way that we go, well, you can't say that I'm not helping or serving. I remember this time. And the same thing happens with giving. When your giving is just kind of a, a random and somebody says, hey, are you generous? And our brain, I go, well, I'm generous. I mean, yeah, I mean, at Christmas time, I was driving by that family. They were on the corner. I gave them some cash in that moment. And, you know, I was w- watching the game last week and the, the puppy commercial came on with the starving puppies and Sarah McLaughlin and, you know, they're all dying. And I mean, I, I sent in some money there. And I mean, we do these acts and we kind of go, I'm a generous person. And we can convince ourselves we're more generous than we are. In fact, if you you look at studies and they're kind of looking at it generationally, the younger generation, especially Gen Z millennials, love random, don't really like regular, and don't really like giving to any institutions. And and again, I'm not doubting your heart. I I think we all have a generous heart because we were created in the heart of a generous God but we may not be as generous as we actually think we are. That's one of the reasons when you look in the Bible, because this is so fundamental to who God calls us to be, there's so much instruction about it because God doesn't want it to just kind of be this random part of our life, but a regular part of our life. So as we look at it, we're gonna answer some questions. Some this week, we'll answer some more next week. And next week, I'm answering some specific questions you've sent in. I'll just say at the outset this week, I'm not talking about where you give. So if you think this whole message is, you know, I've got some kind of zeroed in and, and all this, it's about us here. I want you to just wrestle more with kind of the key questions. And, and this week, it's gonna be around why we give. What does the Bible say on why and how much? We're gonna wrestle with that. What does scripture say with it? So as we look at the why we give, why does the Bible say? Well, first of all, we give as an act of obedience. Guys, you can't read through the Bible without seeing these imperatives. That's, that's the, the tone in the Greek that's a command over and over again. One of the earliest verses written, Proverbs one of the earliest books in the Bible. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The, the, with that, honor the Lord. All of us are called, you're, you're called to honor him. There's a key part of that, you're giving in that. And, and over and over again, you'll just see scriptures in. And when Jesus talks about it, I'm, I'm surprised I've been reading and studying this at a new level. And how many times I look at it in verses, I kind of glance over and go, okay, that's a good thing he's saying. But then I look at it and I go, he's actually commanding there. I kind of make it a little more optional in my heart than he does. And, and, and hear me, anytime God gives us a command, it's always for our good. It's always to protect us. It's always because he knows us. It's always because he wants to lead us to a better life. And so when you see these things and God calls you to a place of obedience, we would say this about any of the other areas, our sexual ethics, the way you treat people your integrity, your honesty. There's some key commands in scripture and all of those commands are always for our good because God wants to lead us to a better life. The same is true with financial commands. And so at a core level, there's a part of it where I go, yeah, I give because it's an act of obedience. It's also an act of faith. 
that we're walking by faith and not by sight. I love how when he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. We've looked at this verse, who richly provides us with everything. Remember, he owns all of it and he gave all of it. He tells those of us that have resources, they're to do good, to be rich in good works. So it is acts of service as well, to be generous, to be ready to share. You're kind of leaning into it. You're not kind of waiting and skeptical about it. He says, man, you're, you're, you're ready to do that. And then here's where it's an act of faith that you're storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You're actually investing in the future to come. And and that verse alone, just believing that, yeah, I'm giving these resources because I think they have eternal impact. I think it'll impact people. I think I'm actually storing up treasure as Jesus said with that. That's an act of faith because I'm investing in something I can't see. And it's one of the ways that God has given us these resources so that we can practice our faith over and over again. Uh, We do this with our resources here on this side of eternity. If you've ever met with a retirement planner, you met with a counselor and they'll tell you, hey, you need to take this much money of your money right now and put it into this account because this will grow and compound interest over time and it'll give you the resources for that. All of which, when we talked about stewardship, remember that's part of that budget, that's part of that planning and saving in that. But when you do that, you're doing it as an act of faith. You have faith in this retirement counselor. You have faith that the markets are gonna stay stable. You're willing by faith to go, you know what, I'm gonna deny money now I could use for the sake of what I think will happen later in my life. Well, in the same way, Jesus, and Jesus calls us to it, and Paul's calling us to it here. He says, hey, what would it look like to take your resources and actually believe you're gonna live for eternity? And you're investing them for others. See, it's an exercise of faith. Third thing we see, it's an act of protection. And and we've seen this over and over. Jesus keeps reminding us, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And so Jesus keeps throwing this out there. And there's so many warnings in scripture how this love of money can, can lead to destruction in your life. Jesus warns us about the anxiety that comes with it and all the different parts. And so part of what I'm doing in giving, part of the reason God commands it is, he goes, hey, I want you to start protecting your own heart. Protect your own life. It's a heart protection in that. Just like exercise, I exercise in order to protect my heart now. Giving is a heart exercise. It really is. And it protects me from drifting even into a place without even recognizing it. Money has gone from being a tool in my life to a master in my life. Giving protects in that. And it's just a, a regular way of that exercise of it. Fourth thing we see, and it, it's an act of responsibility. We'll talk a little bit more about this. There's some direct verses more in it, but just knowing I have a responsibility because God has given to me. In Romans, a simple verse, he says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's inside and outside the church. And so contribute to the needs of the saints if the, and the early church, especially those who are in need, the needs of the ministry. We'll see there's verses where he says, hey, how do you support the ministry that's there? But also I have a responsibility and Jesus says quite a bit 
to those who are poor and how am I taking care of those in our community and how am I, what's my responsibility outward? And that's one of the key questions that you may have. You go, where am I responsible? What's my responsibility to both church, to community, to my family with that? And, and it's, it's a bigger subject. It's one of the reasons we're gonna wrestle with it next week. But just as a, a responsible person, I go, I wanna be responsible for what God's given me and the responsibilities around me. Let me give you one last reason. It's an act of worship, guys. It's an act of worship. And this is the one I hope we don't miss. And I think it's the one that when we wrestle too much in our heart, we, we forget the opportunity we have to just remember again, oh God, you gave everything to me. I love giving. I love being like you. I love giving back to you. Because I want to worship you with all of me with all my heart, with all my life, with all my resources. We'll, we'll look at this verse a little later. I just want you to look at this last line out of it. When Paul says, each must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I love this line. God loves a cheerful giver. It's one of those things, just think about that for a moment. He's just describing that God looks at it. Here's this person and they're, they're using their resources and they're giving. They're not just giving. They're like, oh man, there's heart behind this. There's joy behind this. And God looks at that and he goes, oh, I love that. I mean, I, I just think it's one of these few things, these, these acts that we can do before God and give to God in a way that it warms his heart, that he loves it. I mean, I think about it, you, you, you ever struggle with a gift, giving a gift to someone who has everything? I mean, just think about that. Uh, and, and we struggle with it. Dads are really hard to buy every year, Christmas gifts and stuff. That's why we end up getting ties and that because dad kind of has everything, you know, what, what, what does dad really need out of it? Um, Lee works really hard. She loves her dad. And so, you know, she's thinking through. And so this last Christmas, I mean, she's thinking about her dad. She saw this book on leadership by Henry Kissinger. And she's just thinking about her dad. She knew her dad, he always respected Kissinger. The bank where he worked, Kissinger came and he spoke once and did a thing on leadership there. And so she knew that tied in with it. And she saw the book and she sent the book. And, and when she sent it to him, it's not like her dad needs books. He's not dying for it. He's got resources to get books. But man, he called and he was so excited. And he goes, what a great gift. And, and here's what he, he, he went back on. He goes, you always, you always think about what would be special. And just, just that connection in the moment, because he knew it wasn't just, oh, I got to buy dad a gift. It's Christmas gift. Let's get it. It's like there's heart behind it. There's a connection that happens there. And I think that's what Paul doesn't want us to miss out on. In one of the simplest ways that I have with the resources he's already given me, I can come and I go, yeah, I, I wanna give because I want God to know I love him because I know he loves this. I know this means something to him. And I don't wanna just do this as an act of duty that I have to do. I really want this to be an act of worship in my life because I love him so much. 
So as we we look at that and you think through all those reasons why, here's what I would just challenge you maybe, because a lot of you here, we have so many people, you're faithful in your giving, but it's good every so often to just go through, even as I'm giving, man, is my heart really moving in all these ways? Am Am I doing it out of obedience? Yes, but man, is my faith growing? Man, am I allowing God to use this to protect me? Am, am I using it in a way that, that I really do? I want to share and be a part of the responsibility. Am I allowing my giving to be an act of worship as it should be? Now, as I say that, the question then comes up, how much? This is probably the key question you've been waiting on, everybody waiting on. It's kind of like anytime I'm teaching young adults or teaching singles or young people, and you're teaching about dating, they hear everything, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm hearing, I'm hearing. Here's the one question I always want, but how far can we go? I mean, you know, come on, give me the line. Come on, come on, give me, give me that. They want, and, and in the same way, we kind of go, okay, as we talk about giving, we talk about these different parts, how much is what the Bible calls us to? And so we need to wrestle with this. If you look at it, probably the, the key term, if you've grown up in church, we got to understand what the Bible teaches about the tithe what the Bible teaches about the tithe. Now, when I say that word tithe, it's really misused a lot of times in church. That word tithe often, we use it kind of, if I gave anything to the church, that was my tithe. That's technically not what the word means. The word literally means 10th, this 10%. And so when when you look at that and, and the giving of the tithe, when, when you're talking about, did you give a tithe? It's, it's calling people to 10%. It's been an interesting study. Let me just back up a little bit. For the last half year plus, as I dove into this, as we started looking at this series, we've been taking significant part of our elders meetings to really wrestle through what does the Bible say? Because our leadership team really feels this is so important and I feel it's so important we want to make sure as, as a whole team, we're wrestling with what does scripture say about it, not just what we bring to it. And we recognize for us, even sitting around the table as elders with it, based on how you grew up, based on church traditions and different parts, there's some different perspectives as you come to it. It's probably one of the most fruitful, healthiest discussions I think we've had. Because there was this absolute commitment of going, hey, let's come to the Bible first. Let's really engage again and and learn again in a way, what is God calling us to in that? As you look at that 10%, that's kind of that tithe that's thrown out. That's the number over the years if you've grown up in church. Now it's interesting if you look, in fact, I saw Christianity Today just did a list of kind of percentage of what do evangelicals give in the U.S. now? Um, and, and these are evangelicals or people that would hold the same belief system. It's not talking about Christianity as a whole, but people on the more conservative side of things. It was interesting to me, 10% of evangelicals give more than 8%. That's kind of their standard. Um, it's gonna go down from here, by the way. It's not gonna go up So uh, with it. 23% give somewhere between two to 8%. So, about one third of evangelicals give over 2%. About 42% give less than 2%. And 26% give zero. So about two thirds give 2% or less. 
Now, again, I know as soon as I start saying numbers and that, you can feel it in the room. People are like, uh, I don't want to admit what category I, this, this is not trying to guilt you anything. I'm just, these are the standards that you see in our country. And if you track it over the last, especially 50 to hundred years, those numbers are going down. And they're talking about giving there. It's not just like, oh, just to church. It's just generosity as a country. You see it go down. You'll see pockets in different places. In a time period, by the way, when our wealth is going up. And so at the very least, we have to step back and go, okay, what is that saying? What is going on with us? More than maybe we even realize And as we look at that, then that's where we have to go, okay, what does the Bible say about it? Because regardless of what anybody else's patterns and that, we wanna be a people who are shaped by the word of God. And this issue of tithe in particular is one that I I think you have to look at and say, okay, what is scripture saying? Let me start on one side of it. There's a clear pattern in the Bible of giving a tithe or 10%. You'll see a pattern there. Now, a pattern is not a prescription. Let me say that again. You can see a pattern of something. doesn't mean that it's a prescription that you have to do that now. So lest you think I'm just building this whole case slam dunk on this, I just want to look at what does the Bible say about it as a whole? As you look at it and walk it kind of through biblical history, you go all the way back to Abraham. And Abraham, there's this fascinating passage in Genesis 14 where he comes across Melchizedek who's the king of Salem. And we see in the book of Hebrews, Melchizedek is a representative of Christ. Some people think he's an Old Testament theophany, a a Christ who appeared, not incarnate, but who appears. Some go, no, he was a priest king, but he represents Jesus in that. He's the king of Salem. And, And when Abraham comes to Melchizedek, you notice Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the most high, God most high. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then just unprovoked, Abraham who recognizes this priest and king of God gives him a 10th of everything. He gives him a tithe of what he had. Now it's a one-time event. We don't know that there's any other places with that. We just look at it. So you don't want to overread, but you go, okay, that's interesting. This 10th shows up there. Move forward a little bit later, Jacob. When Jacob had left his home and he had the dream of Jacob's ladder and he comes to realize God's going to take care of me in my life. Look what Jacob's commitment Genesis 28, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I will come to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, he was sleeping on a stone there, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that, and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Again, he makes this commitment, this tithe, this tenth in this. Now guys, this is early history. We're not to the law, we're not to Israel, we're not to those. So some people kind of go, well, it's just all a thing under the law. There is no law yet. Law's never been given to Moses yet. It's just, you see these patterns of scripture that at least makes you go, okay, what's going on there? Then you come to Israel. And this is where you'll see the the law of the tithe over and over and over in the nation of Israel. Because it was a fundamental part of their covenant with God. In fact, if you study it, there's actually, from best scholars can tell, 
three tithes that they did. And there was one, a Levitical tithe that was for the sake of the temple and the Levites. Remember when he gave the land to the 12 tribes, the Levites had no land because they were to serve in the temple. They were to do the work of God. And so they had no possession of their own. And so part of that, he said, is this tithe, this first tenth that you will come and you'll bring is for the work of the temple. It's for the work of the Levites and the sustenance of their lives and their families and people. And then we see also there was a festival tithe. Another time when they came, remember they had several festivals, they had things they did as a nation. And so that was a 10%. And then every third year, there was a poor tithe. It was for the sake of the poor that you came and that you gave a 10%. And so three and a half percent each year or three and a third percent each year toward taking care of those who were poor with it. And and so you look at all these tithes and, and probably the verse that's most quoted when it goes back to Israel with it And maybe you grew up and you learned this verse with it. Malachi, the prophet Malachi is condemning the children of Israel. He says, will you rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have I robbed you? How, How have we ever robbed God? In your tithes and contributions, you cursed with the curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to test, says the Lord of hosts. I will not open the heavens of heaven if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. And so he says, hey, test me in this, but I'm considering this covenant I have with you, what I've called you to give, you're not giving that. And in strong language, you're robbing from me in it. One more in this, as we kind of look at this, in the time of Jesus, we have just one reference on it when he says, he says to the Pharisees, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you tithe on the mint and dill and cumin. In other words, even down to your your spices, you're tithing, you're giving that little bit, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You're not doing the things of the heart and what you're called to do. This one line though, these you ought to have done. So he's not condemning them for tithing. He doesn't just throw it out and go, oh, you shouldn't have tithed at all. He just says, yeah, you should have done that without neglecting the other parts that you should have done. Now, if if I stop at this point, you, you might be tempted to go, well, man, that's a pretty clear case. It started before Israel. You got Abraham, you got Jacob. You, you've got the nation of Israel, what God's called to. Jesus reaffirms it. And for many of you, if you grew up, and, and I, I wanna recognize, and I always wanna be sensitive because you have a discussion like this, you start realizing we have different church backgrounds and parts with it. And some of you grew up and man, these were the passages you were taught. You heard Malachi about once a year. I mean, it, it was a key part of it. And, and, and here's the key part. Who wants to rob from God? I mean, no, nobody wants to do that. Now, again, here's where we have to be careful though, even in our interpretation as you go through something like this. Because you can see something that's significant, but you gotta remember God has been doing one universal work of salvation that all points to Christ. But the ways that it is unfolded, there are changes in that. Uh, let me give you an example, the sacrificial system. If you took the sacrificial system, you can go all the way back to Genesis, even with Adam and Eve, animals that were slain so that they could be covered. We see sacrifices through those times in Genesis. It becomes a fundamental 
part of the nation of Israel, the sacrifice. In fact, that was part of your tithe is bringing that animal, that sacrifice in that. That, that blood was shed as this representation that I need forgiveness of it. Now we know all of that was pointing to Jesus. And when Jesus came, as Hebrews tells us, he was the final sacrifice. That's why we don't bring animals. That's why we don't sacrifice in that way anymore. That all of it was pointing to this, but there's been a fundamental change in the way that we worship now. Now we look back on his sacrifice. We remember his sacrifice. When we take communion, that's what we're doing in that. We're remembering, oh, his body broken, his blood shed. There was a, a sacrifice for me, for those of us who are Christians. But, it, but if you chart it through history, I can see a pattern, but there was some changes in the way it was administered and it continues. In the same way, we have to come to the New Testament and go, okay, after the death and resurrection of Christ, what does the New Testament, both in Jesus' time and then specifically after, what does it teach about these issues, about giving and about the tithe? And so when you come to the New Testament, I mean, here's the one thing that we see in the New Testament, there is instruction on giving, but the tithe is not commanded. You, you don't see a direct command of the tithe in the New Testament. Now, again, I, I'm not saying that I'm throwing it out. I'm just telling you what the Bible says in this. And I know today I'm asking you to kind of buckle down as Bible scholars with me, but I feel like it is so important that we allow the Bible to lead us through this instead of just, okay, this opinion or that, in order that we can be formed together and go, okay, what, what is God leading us to today? As we look at this, Look at Luke 6, 38. This is Jesus teaching. He says, give it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for with the measure you use it will be the measure back to you. Now, again, you're gonna see even in the New Testament, there's this same language of, man, God wants to bless you. And one of the key ways he blesses you is when you give. And he wants to bless back in your life. You don't give for that reason. Nor is that a guarantee, and, and hear me, because I don't like those guys that go, man, if you will send me your money and your seed, God's gonna give you. I, trust me, God will outbless you all of your life. If you give, he will outbless you in your giving. How he chooses to do that, or some kind of give to get scheme, that's not in the New Testament. But likewise, hear me, because on our side of the spectrum, you know, we're pretty conservative with it. Sometimes we just write off all the blessing passages. And we so spiritualize, well, yeah, it's spiritual blessings. Sometimes I think we underestimate really what God wants to do to it. See as well in the New Testament, Mark 12, one of the most convicting passages that stands out for me with it when Jesus is there and he's watching the people as they bring their gifts and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting in money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sum and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty has put everything she had and all she had to live on. I, I, every time I read that story, there's a part of me that kind of goes, Whoo. 
that, that this, this woman who literally, she has two coins that together they make up a penny. And as Jesus is watching all these big gifts and, and part of what he's pointing out that they used to do, the Pharisees especially, whenever they made a big gift, the whole world knew, knew about it. They love broadcasting it. So that's part of what Jesus is speaking against. He's like, don't do that. Don't do that. But, but the flip side of it, he looks at it and notice Jesus is not impressed by amounts but he is impressed by sacrifice. He said, yeah, they gave, but it didn't really cost them anything. There wasn't wasn't a sacrifice there. And, and, And she gave everything. And as I say that, again, Jesus is not asking you that I know of, you, you get along with him, to give everything you have. But hear me, when something impresses Jesus, I want to learn from it. And when I, when I see Jesus, and he, he not only said it for them, but he said it for our sake. He says, hey, let's just stop for a moment. And I just want you to realize, man, this woman gets it. And he's speaking specifically. There's just a part of her life that she goes, man, I'm, God, I'm trusting you with everything. She's sacrificial in her giving. See, I read a story like this and, and, and I stop quibbling so much about percentages because it starts really convicting me about all. And I look at it and go, oh man, I want to have that kind of heart for you. Look at the passage We saw it a little bit earlier. Paul says, to this point, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So so this is probably the most straightforward command in it. And it's telling in it, Paul, as he's teaching on giving, there's a couple of chapters here in in Corinthians as he's teaching on it. He doesn't build off the tithe. He doesn't build any part. He, He goes, hey, let's go to a heart level. Let's go with you before God and, and you really talking about it. And, and he says, man, each decides in their heart, not under compulsion or reluctantly, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some of you, you read this passage and you're like, oh, whew. all right. In fact, I'll wait until I'm cheerful and then I'll start giving because <laughs> I'm not cheerful about it right now. If we were to say that to Paul, you know what Paul would go? He'd say, what's wrong with your heart? And that's a bad sign that that something's not good with your heart. And he'd probably start drilling in a little bit of like, wait, is money your master and not God? Because man, that, that would be a real sign of that. Are you anxious about money all the time? Oh man, well, that, that's, that's not a good signal. You you need to to really investigate and and wrestle with this and look at it and do something about it. I mean, if you came to me, let's say you came to me right now and you go, oh man, I am having huge chest pains. And it's mainly on my left side. Every so often shooting down my arm. 
I can barely just take 10 steps. I'm breathing heavy. I would be panicked at that moment. I'm like, okay, okay, you, you got to do something. Your heart's telling you this is not good. We got to go to the doctor. You, you probably need to eat different. You need to exercise. If your answer to me in that moment was, I'm going to do all those things. I'm going to wait until my heart stops hurting before I do that though. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait till I'm better before I actually do what I should do. See, that's the same thing here when you go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not cheerful about giving. I'm kind of reluctant on all of that. That's your heart going, uh, you got heart issues. And if your response is, well, I'm gonna wait till I feel better about it before I start doing it. Man, Paul would look at it and go, you're missing the point here. You're not, you're not listening to your own heart in this. And, and one of the reasons I think he doesn't go back to the tithe and give the specific amount, because remember the new covenant that we're living under, that Jesus brought us under, remember when he described this new covenant, God said, I'm gonna bring a new covenant that will come through the sacrifice of Christ. It's different than the old covenant that Israel lived under. He said, in the old covenant, all the rules were written on stone. All the things you're supposed to be doing were written out and you live up to that. He said, I'm gonna do something new. I'm gonna actually write it on your heart. You're actually gonna have the Holy Spirit within you. And, and, and so it's no longer just trying to live up to a law. It's actually God changing you from the inside out. And the Holy Spirit leading you from the inside out. I think one of the most fundamental ways you'll experience his leadership in your life is when this area of my resources and finances, I let him have control of all of it. And I want you from the inside out, right on my heart, so that I have a cheerful heart, so that I'm not just trying to live up to a law, but from the heart, from the inside out, Make me generous like you are. One other passage in the New Testament, Paul says, since you excel in everything, since you're growing in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love that we have kindled in you. He says, you're growing in all these other parts of your life. Look at this. He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He says, man, I want you to be excellent at this as well. I want you to keep growing at this. As much as your knowledge of the Bible, as much as your faith, as much as your evangelism, that. He says, man, you ought to be excellent at this. Excellent givers. Because we're made in the image of a giving God. So given that New Testament survey, let me just step back to our question again and just give you some of the interpretations around kind of the three positions on tithing. In general, there's kind of three current positions on tithing. And I'm not talking about the ones that the wacko preachers out there. I'm talking about conservatives who come to the New Testament, who study it, that, that we have gone through out of it. You kind of have three positions on the 10%. The first one is the tithe is in full force and anything less than 10% is robbing from God. 
There, there are some, you know, Robert Morris and some of the others that they very much would teach. Man, no, if you see that pattern in, in the Bible, that pattern is in full force and they would teach it in a way that anything less than that is that Malachi passage. Uh, others would say we are no longer under the law of the tithe, but it should at least be our standard. So you've got guys like Randy Alcorn is, is one of the guys I respect the most on this whole subject. He's taught so much on it. This would be Alcorn's position. He'd go, no, we're not under a law of it, but man, and Alcorn's really strong. 10% should at least be our position around that. John Piper would be another one in, in this. And then a third category would say in the New Testament, giving is not based on or limited to tithing. That, that was part of that Old Testament pattern, but our New Testament giving is not based on or, or limited to it. And teachers uh, in this category, Tom Schreiner at, at Southern Seminary or John MacArthur is really strong on it. He very much would say the tithe was part of the taxing system in it. And so in the New Testament, there's this total freedom around that. I, I don't say that, but like one name's better than others. I say that because we're talking about biblical scholars who agree on, on most things in it, but I want you to feel some of the tension around that. And so I know you're all sitting there and going, all right, Tim, which one is it? <laughs> Let me just tell you where, where I wrestled as a pastor on this. And, and I have spent probably more hours going back through this studying it. It's been such a healthy study in my own life. Here's where I've wrestled as a pastor. On one side of it, and if you're new to venture or you've been a part of venture, you just need to know, we are a church who are committed to living our life under the authority of scripture. We want the Bible to lead us. And because of that, we, we call people to things that sometimes get very countercultural. As the culture changes, we don't wanna drift with that. We wanna go, this is what the Bible said and we're aligning our lives to that. Because of that as a pastor though, I feel a huge responsibility that I never wanna overprescribe something into the Bible that is not explicitly there. And so that's that part of it that as easy as it for me to go, well, there's a pattern or tithe, we, we just continue that. When I look at the New Testament and I don't see that command there, it is hard for me to go, well, that is the law or the standard of today. Now, here, here's the flip side of it, though. As a pastor, I don't want you to miss out on this blessing in your life. And the numbers are saying, and if we're honest with ourselves, we are missing. And, and so this part of me, when you go, well, we're not under the tithe, you there's a part of me that goes, everybody I know on a practical level who gets really serious about giving, who really gets serious at a heart level, it's funny. Even ones, I've talked to a lot of people and they go, no, I don't believe the tithe is in the New Testament. And then I go, kind of what is your standard of giving? And they usually end up back about 10% or more. And, and so as I look at these three, I, I don't think as a biblical scholar, I can say this one. And I know there's other scholars disagree and maybe you've grown up with this and this has served you well. <laughs> I'm not saying it to fight you. I'm just telling you as your pastor, as I've studied the passages, I can't go there. I lean here, but it almost feels a little bit like cheating. You kind of go, well, it's not this, but it really is this. So I either stand on that position or not. So I, I, I live in this space. I don't think it's limited to, nor is it based on. 
But here was the counsel I give my kids. My kids as they're coming into adulthood. I would counsel them like I counsel you. I don't think we live under the law of the tithe. But I think there's some freedom and some sacrifice that comes at that 10%. That is something you certainly should wrestle with in your life. And I think more than anything else, if you get alone with God and let the Holy Spirit lead you from within, it's not based on the law that's written on stone, but remember what he's doing in our hearts. I think he's gonna lead you probably at least to that level. Maybe not today. Maybe it's growth with that. Maybe it's a next step. And I would save that to my kids, not because I wanna put them under law, I'd say that to my kids because I want them to experience the blessing that comes out of this. And I want you to experience it as well. Now, and we, we've covered a lot of ground and maybe you still have more questions. We're gonna answer more next week because we haven't even talked about where you give and the other parts and how does this fit with that? We'll answer those. Here's all I wanna leave you with today. When's the last time you let the Holy Spirit speak to you on this issue? And you didn't come with an agenda, you just opened it to him. And you really asked him, God, what do you want me to give? What what are you calling me to do in my life? In fact, I put some questions for your reflection. You know, these three questions, Maybe go back, look to those reasons, say, are these true in my life? Am I giving out of obedience, out of faith, out of worship? Are you willing to sit before him and ask him to lead you in your giving? Just speak to me, Holy Spirit. And then the final part, are you willing to trust him and take your next step in your giving journey? One of the things I love about it, you maybe feel convicted today. The enemy wants you to walk out of here and kind of dismiss it because you feel guilty. Here's what the Holy Spirit will do. The Holy Spirit will go, hey, let's deal with that guilt. Confess your sins. He loves forgiving. Let's, let's be open and honest. Let him lead you. And maybe today is like, you know, this is what I think he's calling me to give, what I can give, I want to sacrificially give. And then you allow that to grow in your life as you continue to follow his leadership in those next steps. In fact, as we finish out, can you just take a minute here and close your eyes? And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the great news is you have the Holy Spirit within you. And he loves to lead. But a lot of times before he can lead, we have to let go. So maybe just take a moment now and tell him that you're willing to release control over this area. Tell him you're willing to follow his leadership in this area of your life. in just a moment, Shep's gonna lead us in a song of prayer. And it's a song we know and a song we like to sing. But I pray that the words of it, the words of surrender, 
would actually come from the heart. Would you take a moment with the Spirit and then Shep will close us out with this song. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.